Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. All right, this is different. Okay, all right, it's great. So our passage today is from John chapter three. This is Jesus meeting Nicodemus. And the question that we really want to answer today is, what is a Christian? I think it's so important in this moment. What, what is a Christian? What makes someone a Christian? Because I think there's a lot of confusion about that. Is a Christian just a nice person? Is a Christian uh, someone that's part of some certain dozen? What is a Christian? Think about that. Think about that question. I know it's so basic because the answer is in this passage. Jesus gives us the answer. John chapter 1, I mean John chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you now as a, as a preacher and as just a person and as someone who needs this sermon as much as I need to say it. And so, Lord, would you be merciful to me? Would you, Holy Spirit, would you be welcomed here? And would you work in our hearts? Would you give us attention to you and your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, he was so close yet so far away. Like, he couldn't see who Jesus really was, but he, but he almost could, but he couldn't. So Jesus is telling him, you must be born again. 
You must be born from above. And he had no idea what he was talking about. So confused, gloriously, hilariously confused by this in a way that brings tension to us as we think about this story and let it sift our own thoughts, our own feelings, where we are. See, being born again is a necessity. That's our first point. It's a necessity. A Christian is someone who's been born again. It's a necessity. Second, we're gonna look at what does that mean? So the necessity of being born again, and then what does it mean to be born again? And then so what? The necessity, what does it mean? Then so what? But before we jump into the outline, I think an illustration of of this idea of being born again as being spiritually uh, dead, needing new spiritual life, it kind of reminds me of when I had COVID in November. I I got COVID in November before Thanksgiving. In fact, I got out of quarantine and on Thanksgiving Day, that's pretty cool, I thought. But one of the things, I had very mild symptoms, thankfully. But one of the things that was so weird is losing my sense of taste and smell, swimming with all of my clothes on. <laughs> it's like there was water, but I couldn't feel the wetness of it. It was the strangest thing. It almost made me feel like claustrophobic when I was eating. Because I knew that I had like, popcorn or a brownie or something delicious, but I couldn't taste it and I couldn't smell it. And then finally, actually the day I got out of quarantine, my sense of smell and taste came back on Thanksgiving day. Hallelujah, right? (laughs) It came back on Thanksgiving day, but it didn't fully come back. So there were some things I could taste and there were some things I could smell and there were other things I couldn't taste and there were other things I couldn't smell. It was bizarre. Like I couldn't smell a candle, but I could taste chicken, right? And so in some ways, it's kind of like our spiritual lives. People that are not Christians, people that aren't believers, aren't terrible people. They're not worse than us. They're no better than people who are Christians. There's no difference in the eyes of God, that someone's not better or worse. They're not, not, the only difference is they can see the kingdom and the other ones can't. They can taste the kingdom and the other ones can't. They can smell the kingdom and the other ones can't. They can still do beautiful things. They're very noble people. They're intelligent people. They're in, in, in some ways way more virtuous, but they can't see the kingdom. They can't see it because something has to happen. And that's our first point today the necessity of being born again. The necessity, it's essential that someone be born again. Okay, so point one, why is this happening to someone like Nicodemus? Why, what is Jesus saying here, truly, truly? He does it like three times, verily, verily, truly, truly. That's like uh, an Aramaic or a Hebrew way of saying exclamation mark, exclamation mark, right? Truly, truly, you cannot see the kingdom unless you've been born again. Like, don't miss this, all caps. And why do people need to be born again? It's because people by nature are spiritually dead. They're spiritually dead. Paul talks about this in Romans 1. He said that that we have futile thinking by nature. Our hearts are darkened, that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so it doesn't mean that we aren't fascinating people, brilliant people, beautiful people in so many ways, but when it comes to our relationship with God, it is a flat line dead. Every human being, their relationship with God, spiritually, they are dead. 
they're not hurt, they're not injured, they are dead, they are not alive. Even though on the outside, so many amazing things are happening a lot of times. It doesn't mean they can't do great works of art or fly an airplane or do amazing inventions, but spiritually speaking, they're dead and they cannot make themselves alive. Even someone as noble, as respected, and as brilliant as Nicodemus, he's the teacher of Israel. He is a very powerful, very prominent, maybe the most prominent of all the Pharisees. Brilliant in every way. And he's spiritually dead. He's the ruler of the Jews and the head of the Sanhedrin which is the group of people who had the most power within the Jews. He is a prominent teacher. That means he would have known the Bible backward and forward. He would have been a teacher of scripture. And he is earnestly coming to Jesus by night because he doesn't want to be seen by day with Jesus. He has enough information. He has the Bible. He's a scholar. He's a good guy. He's a religious intellectual. He's even heard about new birth, but he doesn't understand anything about Jesus. But here's the thing. It's like he has food in his mouth, but he can't taste it. So he comes to Jesus and he says like, what's your deal? That's what he's saying. What's your deal? Like, you're doing amazing things. In fact, you're doing things that are like blowing everyone's mind. And I want to know where you're from. Like, I want to know what's going on with you. I want to understand. In other words, he wanted Jesus to say something that would You have no idea. You have to be born again. For Jesus to tell someone like Nicodemus that he has to be born again is outrageous. Jesus even says, like, how can you be the teacher of Israel and not understand about being born again? It's because Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 36, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Jeremiah 31, verse 33. You can go look all those up at, at, at later on this afternoon. They're all talking about new birth. In other words, the idea of new birth is an Old Testament concept too. In other words, you actually have it. You can quote verses, but you're not born again. This is profound. You want to talk about when they, when they say the gospel is offensive? This is very, very offensive. And the reason I love to teach this passage so much is because it makes me understand my story so well. Because you can be around Christianity like I was. I mean, you grew up in a place like Arkansas. It's, as Flannery O'Connor said, it's, it, the South is Christ-haunted. You're around so much Christianity that when I was at school at Baylor University, there was a student who was from the north, and I remember she, she thought the little ichthus, you know, the fish, the fish, there were so many ichthuses, ichthuthi, I don't know, fish is, on the cars that she thought it was a dealership in Texas. <laughs> She's like, is this a dealership? Like, we're tripping over Jesus land, right? It's everywhere. That was me. I grew up hearing the gospel. I was in, when I was a little boy, I was in a church uh, musical called Down by the Creek Bank. 
And I sang a little song with my brother. I said, I am adopted. I'm a special kid, you see. I'm proud to be a member of the royal family. My father owns a kingdom. He sits upon his throne. He gives me everything that I need. It's great to just be home. I'm adopted. And I sang it with a twang, unironically. But that's the, like, that's weird. My point is, that's bizarre. Like extra, extra, extra Christian. I didn't know Jesus. I knew about it. I was fascinated with it. But it wasn't until I was 22 years old going to Christ's community and I realized that like I couldn't clean myself up, that I couldn't be good enough, that I had moral defects and that I was twisted and that I was hopeless. And then I realized that I wanted the kingdom. There's a desiring for the kingdom, not just the gospel, not just salvation. A lot of times that's the front door, but it's desire for something more. A desiring, as James K. Smith calls, what is the kingdom? It's a, a visceral, often unarticulated desire for flourishing, for the beautiful world. Or as the Swedish poet Edith Sondergren said, the key to all secrets is in the grass on the raspberry slope. Or as Cosette would say, her castle on a cloud, a world set right that is at the very center of our beings. Lewis says we have echoes of Eden in our childhood for just brief moments when everything is right. That's what I wanted. And I knew I couldn't create it. And you have to be born again. And so what does that mean? So we get to the point. We, Jesus kind of drives us into a wall. Like, I want the kingdom because that's what humans want. But Jesus drives us into a wall. How can you experience the kingdom? The kingdom that is here and the kingdom that is coming. The kingdom that will meet your greatest needs. The kingdom that will cleanse your guilt. The kingdom that will meet you in your shame where you'll be seen and people won't go away. The, play, the place that will, that will deal with that sense of delight that is at the core of your being. That you have to almost wage war against because it hurts you so much because you want it so bad. You have to be born again. So what does that mean? Point two, Jesus says you have to be born of the spirit. How can a man, and then Nicodemus goes, how can, a, how can someone be born when he's old? He's an old man. He's being literal, he's not being cute. How can someone be born when they're old? He's an old man. Does he enter his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus' point is this, Birth is something that happens to you. It is something that you receive. It is something that you are not involved in. How involved were you in your conception and birth? Zero. Zero. And Jesus keeps, he doubles down on this. He's like, you'd be born again. You'd be born in the spirit. You'd be born again. And like Nicodemus pushes back. It's like, no, no, no. You got to be born in the spirit. I don't care if you don't understand me. You've got to be born in the spirit. So like, birth is something that you are involved in, but it's something that happens to you. And so spiritual birth is 100% the work of God to you. It is something that God brings about by his spirit. It's as, it's as God born 
as the creation of the cosmos. In the beginning, God spoke the creation into being. God said, let there be light. It is something that is acted, the creation is acted upon. It is created out of nothing. That is the exact same thing that happens in spiritual rebirth. So now you know, being a Christian is not something you do. Being a Christian is not something you create. Being a Christian is something that happens to you supernaturally, miraculously. And y'all, I think this is so essential for us to recapture that in this moment when there's so much confusion over what Christianity is and how tied it is to so many special interest groups. No, no special interest groups. The spirit is the only one that brings it about. It's a gift. Jesus says, he talks about the wind. He then compares it to the wind. The wind blows wherever it wants to. No one knows it comes from. No, no. He's not making comment, scientific commentary on wind, okay? But what he's saying is, you're not in control of it. Like, you just see where it blows, but you didn't do anything to do it. The wind just does what it wants to. So is who are born of the Spirit. In fact, the word Spirit, both in the Greek and in the Hebrew, is the same word for breath and wind. The Hebrew word, ruach. Isn't that great? Born of the Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit bringing this about, bringing the conception about, bringing about the new birth is completely a gift. It is something that absolutely happens to you. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And when we say grace, we mean totally, completely grace. You had nothing to do with it. You weren't involved in it at all, and you do not deserve it. Let me tell you what, I needed to hear that when I was 22 and when I was 32 and 42 and I'll need to hear it when I'm 52 and 62 and 70, Lord willing, 82 and 102. Because I bring absolutely nothing to the table in birth or in spiritual birth. When I think about something happening to me, this is what came to mind this week. Uh, one time I was getting a, uh, my oil changed. I was living in Memphis, I got my oil changed. I think my son was with me, he was a little boy. And uh, I went to this thing. It was kind of a new place. They were working out the kinks. Uh, they hadn't really gotten on their A game yet. Um, and so there were just some things working. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm actually going to get my oil change at this place. So, so I go in, and I'm paying. I'm about to pay. And I have my credit card out. And the guy's behind the counter, and I have my credit card. I'm giving the guy my credit card. And at that very moment, one of the tiles, it's like one of these kind of cheap, they're just like tiles. One of the tiles breaks and water falls directly onto my head and on no one else. It was like one, like, and in that moment, like I remember that because I remember my son was just going like, oh my gosh. And, and I love having filthy water on me, right? That's what happened to me when I was 22. I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't, I was a mess. I was afraid. I didn't know, I didn't have, people asked me what my plans were. I didn't know what my plans were. I had so many things. All I was was just a ball of anxiety and fear and, and, and brokenness. And then I just show up. Someone invites me to just show up at a service like this. Just show up at a service like this. And I didn't know what I, I didn't even know what I needed. I wasn't like, even like Nicodemus who was searching. I just showed up and I just showed up and I heard, boom, God loves you. 
out of the blue. What a, what a gift. God loves you. What? Yeah, he loves you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. So the, and it, you're, that is good news, not good advice. And what my life was, Christianity was, good advice. Get your life together. I rededicated my life every single year at church camp. Another weird Christian thing. If you're from California, you're like, what is this guy, right? And so what that meant was I was constantly going like, all right, maybe it'll take. And I thought it was like something I did. Like I wanted to be struck by the holy lightning bolt where I would become a Christian. And like by the time I was in my 20s, like I guess I'm just not cut out for it until I realized you're never cut out for it. You're born again. Take it. That's what Karl Barth says the closest thing to grace is laughter. It's hilarious. It's hilarious that you're a Christian. That's hilarious. That's why Paul would say things like, I'm the chief of sinners. Listen to what he says. Being born again, this is someone who's born again. Paul was a first century terrorist. He killed Christians and he terrorized the church, breathing out threats is the way he's described. The last person in the world that would, be, that would be a martyr for Jesus is Saul of Tarsus. Hate, like eight on the Enneagram with an eight wing, if you know what I'm talking about. And full of rage and brilliant, killing Christians. And then this man is radically converted. And listen to what he says. I think Jesus Christ, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, I've received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying, listen, he says, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm number one. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. Look, that's you, my friend. There are no exceptions. I don't care if you're 86. I don't care if you're 96. I don't care if you're 16. That is you. Being born again is hilarious. It means just receiving it. And God loves, loves his favorite thing is to save the uttermost. He gives us a new heart. He gives us new eyes. He gives us an ability not only to feel our need for him, but he gives us faith to begin to do this. If you feel your need for Jesus, Jesus is for you, period. No strings attached. Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless you're born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You know what that means? Being born of the spirit is spirit. That means that this new birth goes to right to the very core of your being. It goes right to the core of your greatest longing in ways that you can't articulate. The new birth goes right and it splits right between the bone and the marrow, right down to your deepest longings, right down to your darkest secrets, right down to your deepest, deepest needs. And you don't need to find words for them. The spirit searches and knows and he brings life and he brings healing and he brings hope there. If you're feeling a stirring, a rattling there, that is of the spirit, not of you. You can't make yourself born again. So what? 
So what? There's some good news here. If this is true, we truly can be freed from our bad behavior, from our bad life, all of it. I don't care what you did. Did you kill Christians? You persecute the church? Like, here's the thing. Paul used an example of the greatest church planner in the history of the world. He used as an example of like, none of y'all are bad, as bad as he was. Nobody. Like, he's the worst. He's the absolute worst. He literally killed Christians and hated Jesus and everything that Jesus did. And he holds himself up as like, hey, this is how grace is. Boom, boom. It's the same thing with John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace. Slave trader. But even worse, he did horrible, unthinkable, unthinkable things to slaves. And so when God's grace met him, that hilarity filled him to the core of his being. He was transformed, transformed. So much that he would say things like this. He who feels and knows his own weakness and sinfulness and unworthiness and lives upon the pardoning grace and love of the Lord has a habitual tenderness and gentleness of spirit. In other words, he never lost how desperate and jacked up he was and how messed up he was, but he lived with that constant paradox. I'm so messed up and I belong to him. That's born again. It's that free, but you can be freed from that. You can be freed from the, a guilty conscience. Why? Because Christ covers your conscience. That's what he's doing. He gives you a new conscience. His, his perfect righteousness cleanses your conscience. His blood brings about and says, I am not guilty before God because of Jesus. All of it. Born of the Spirit. There was a great thing. It not only frees you from your bad behavior, it actually frees you from your good behavior too. The religious type. Listen to what John Gerstner said, theologian. The main thing between you and God is not so much your sins, it's your damnable good works. The main thing between you and God is not your sins, it's your damnable good works. And so one of the things that was keeping me from being a Christian was demanding that I was a Christian. No, 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 I walked the aisle. I prayed the prayer. I'm not, I don't, I've never had premarital sex and I've never done drugs. I'm a Christian. My parents are Christians. I, I was, the, the, one of the things that keeps us from actually experiencing new birth is, is, is admitting that we're as bad as Paul. Like, what are those things in your life that you are not wanting to let go of that, that they actually may be blocking you from experiencing the radical grace of God? The fact that you're comparing yourself to one of your siblings, the fact that you've like done all these things, the fact that you're holding on to these damnable good works and this pride that makes you obnoxious to other people and keeps you away from Jesus. You just need to join the human race. One of my favorite things that Nate Larkin once said uh, in, in his book, that he lived most of his life either above or below the human race. And it wasn't just when he died, he's maybe revealing that so you can be freed from it. So you can just join, the, just be another bozo on the bus like the rest of us. There's some of you here that are wondering, I want to be a Christian, I don't think I am. And you've worried about this. You've thought to yourself, I don't know if I'm a Christian. You lack what they call assurance of salvation. And so every time you hear a sermon, maybe like this, you're like, I don't know. And so you start looking inward. Have I, am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? I, look, I, I get you. I was in seminary asking that question. I think I went to seminary to answer that question. How crazy is that? 
I'll do the, I'll do the hardest, most boring thing ever to become a Christian. <laughs> Let me say something to you. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know that you're messed up? I don't, I'm not saying exhaustively. Do you, just, do you know that you need Jesus and you can't keep the cheese on the cracker as Brendan Manning said? Do you know that? Do you know what Jesus' name means? Salvation. In other words, like, his name, it means Yahweh saves. So like, if you know that you're a sinner and that's all you know today, then you don't know anything else today. You just know that you're messed up. His name is salvation. There is no prerequisite. There's not, there's not one. Your very desire to know Christ is from Christ. And I've, I remember when I was in seminary and I first heard these words and they gave me so much comfort. Let not conscience make you linger or a fitness fondly dreamed. The only fitness that he requires is that you feel your need of him. This he gives you. This he gives you. That's the Spirit's rising beam. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. Be like the thief on the cross. My favorite story. There he is with Jesus. You talk about fourth quarter. <laughs> Buzzer shot. In fact, he'd been mocking Jesus with his comrade. He was between the whole time. And then finally, he looks at Jesus. He just looks at Jesus in a moment because he was facing his own eternity. And he just looks over at Jesus and he goes, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus looks at him and said, you'll be with me today in paradise. That's your God. Do you feel your need? That's, that's how much he wants to save you. More than you want to be saved. His grace is greater than your sin. And you know, folks, I can't get over that. I can't get over a God that, that, that wants to save me that much, that loves me that much. What about people in your life that aren't believers, family and friends? Here's what's so liberating and it's one of the things that helped me so much at ministry at Vanderbilt. You can't convert anyone. It's not your job. I can't tell you how many times parents and other people have told me over the years like, all right, you let them have it. <laughs> like, like I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be such a crazy monster jerk that I'm gonna wrestle this person into the kingdom, right? You can do nothing, but you know what you can do? You can come alongside someone and tell him your story. That's all Paul did. Paul was constantly telling people his testimony all the time. He was just going like, look, I've got, a, I've got the t-shirt. Look at me. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. That's why we exist for you. We want you to know Jesus because Jesus wants to know you. What they used to say is, get in the way of the gospel. 
You can't sort of change things, but get in the way of gospel. Bring all of your intellectual questions, every single one of them, all of those roadblocks that you feel, all of your baggage, all of the stuff against Christianity and how obnoxious Christians have been over all the years, for 2,000 years. We're really good at it. We are. Get yourself in the way of the gospel. Listen to it, because you know what will happen? The same thing has happened time and time again that happened to me. The same thing that happened to Nicodemus at the end of the gospel the end of the gospel. Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the one that pays for and takes care of Jesus' dead body and his burial. The end of the gospel of John. Nicodemus is there in daylight. You know what happened? He was born again. That smart, well-learned, intellectual, powerful man became a bozo on the bus. If we could just, if the Lord would allow us just to get over ourselves so that we could just love Jesus crazy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the power of the spirit. Thank you for what it's done in my life. And Lord, I pray for those who are here today, maybe, maybe like me, wondering, seeking, Lord, what, Would that hilarious water of the Spirit to bring about new life and new creation, would it, Lord, would it surprise them? Would they feel their need for you and call out to you and trust you in Jesus' name?